Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Get The Shot podcast. This podcast is meant for all you young or old aspiring creatives trying to get your shot at working in the sports biz industry. My name is Billy Quach. I am the creative director at Let It Fly Media. And today we have a very special guest. My good friend, Anna Topkin, from the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. She is a Super Bowl champ, and she has a fat Super Bowl ring. So put on your headphones, plug in your AirPods, turn up your speakers in your car. You're going to want to take notes from all the great advice that she has to offer. Today, we're going to be talking about Anna's journey to the Kansas City Chiefs working at Arkansas and making her way up to the big leagues. We're going to be talking about Super Bowl week and how stressful and how amazing that week was working for the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're going to be answering call-ins straight from you, the audience. So thank you so much for calling in for those that did. If you want more info on calling in in future episodes, please DM me at Billy Quatch Films and I'll try to get you on the next recording. I'm super excited for this episode. We're both live in the studio, so the audio is going to be crisp and nice. Let's get this thing started. Let's run it. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Today, we have Anna in the house. Anna, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Billy. It's good Thank to be here with so you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Get the shot. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's start off real easy. What is your title? Where do you work at? And what do you do day to day? Like, what does that title mean? I am a producer at the Kansas City Chiefs. This is my fourth season currently. I can't believe that it's already my fourth season, but it is. Um, A producer is a very, you know, just vague term. But at the Chiefs, we all have specialties. My specialty is live production. So, I do pre-game, po- pre-game show, post-game show. Um, I now direct the video board show. Anything that has a live element um, usually comes through me. So it's really fun, really exciting, and really different than kind of the day-to-day producer does. Yes, uh, and I worked with you for two years there, so we uh, had many paths crossed there. Many. And we were uh, with each other at University of Arkansas. Billy, so we go way back. I know a lot about way you, back. so I already know the answers to all of these questions, but everybody else listening to this podcast doesn't know the answer, so we're going to go through them. So let's start with your journey into this industry. Like, What got you started? How did you get in onto this path of working for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, so my love for sports really started as a kid. I used to watch sports with my dad every single weekend, um, so much so I would watch the NFL draft religiously when I was in fifth grade, you know, that that whole kind of thing. And I always wanted to be Aaron Andrews, as I told people. I want to be Aaron Andrews. Um, and, of course, once you get into the industry, you start to learn the ins and outs of what actually happens to get people on TV. And that's kind of where my journey led me. Um, When I started Arkansas, I was working behind the scenes at the news station UATV. During my freshman year, a little bit of on and off, just learning the control room side. Um, And then my sophomore year, the SEC Network launched um, as a new entity, completely brand new. They were coming into every SEC school, 
and installing these multi-million dollar control rooms with all the high-end equipment, and they were hiring students to run this operation. Uh, I got my foot in the door instantly as soon as I heard about that, and I was one of the first, I think, 14 or 13 students that they hired at Arkansas. Um, and we launched the SEC Network back in, gosh, what was that, 2014. And from there, my journey basically just changed into all control rooms all the time. Um, I learned that for every one person on the screen, it takes 10 to 20 behind. And I saw that my opportunity was in the behind the scenes work. So when I was at Arkansas, I started in shading. That was where my first start happened, um, was shading cameras, coloring cameras live. And then I transitioned, did a little bit of camera operator for these live broadcasts. These were on SEC Network Plus, so, you know, just live streaming. Um, and then I transitioned to replay. I stayed in replay for a while. I really loved running replay. And this was for video board shows, live stream shows, everything. Um, and then I got a little bit of graphics. I learned expression, did some graphics producing. And then I got into technical directing. So I was teaching these shows. Um, that was really where my journey kind of stopped in college. And I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and I really, really loved doing that. It's so technical. And the ways that you can set up the board, it, it was just really fun for me. I liked that kind of technical side. Um, when I graduated college in December 2016, I did a little bit of producing these shows before I left Arkansas. And that was kind of where um, my journey began to the real world. Um, after that, in college, I just started applying to each and every job I could find. Um, a lot of them ranged in college, professional, minor league. I did a little bit of minor league baseball as well in the summers, but um, out of that, I saw a job listing for the Kansas City Chiefs. I applied. Um, my boss at Arkansas, actually, Michelle Glover, shouts out Michelle. We love Shout her. Out Michelle. We love her. I love Michelle. Um, she actually worked at Nebraska prior to working at Arkansas. And one of her students was, two, I guess two of her students, were the bosses at the Chiefs. So they were the people that were hiring me. She shot them over a note, said, hey, you should check this girl out. Um, I think that helped me get my foot in the door, but ultimately I think my skills carried me to, that, to getting that position right out of college. Um, truly amazing. I started there in 2017, and I've just been growing there ever since. And... That connection of you being at the Chiefs also helped me get to the Chiefs Facts. because, again, Michelle, my our boss at Ar Arkansas, knew our Chiefs bosses, and then that I added Cherry on top of you, knowing me as well from Arkansas, kind of wrapped it all up to get them to hire me as exactly. an intern. So yep. um, crazy how everyone's paths are all somehow connected, yep. and people know everybody in this. Uh, small world, small industry. Um, for those that don't know, I think you are very different than a lot of guests that you know I've had so far. In that, most of the people I have are the creatives on the field, you know, editing for social with a camera in their hands. Um, explain a little bit more of the broadcast side of things, and just kind of maybe the people don't even know about that. Maybe mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people they just see on social like the creative fun parts, but they don't realize all of the positions and all of the um, undertaking it takes to create a broadcast like in 30 seconds or a minute, just explain that world. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I find especially on social media, and I'm very active on social media, but 
the people that have the easiest time promoting themselves on social media are the creatives, people like you and the people that are posting those 30 second to a minute reels. And that is not my thing. <laughs> that is just not my thing. I quickly learned that. And in college, I did a little bit of that. Um, and I, I, you know, I made that real coming out of college, but it just wasn't good. And it's, that wasn't my skill set. So really where I shined was in the control room. And so that kind of side is completely different, but still as important as the social media side, because there's so much that goes into what you see on TV and even just any football broadcast, any broadcast on SEC Network Plus, ACC Network Plus now are being done by dozens of people. And to get that graphic up on the screen, somebody's got to be running that. And somebody somebody has to be running that machine. Then somebody has to be running the, the switcher that puts that live. Somebody has to be telling that person to take it live. And somebody has to be producing the whole storyline. So there's so much behind the scenes that goes into that. And that's really where I found my niche is in that side. Um, there's something different about live production that just is so fun to me. Um, it gets your heart rate up. Even when I do pregame shows that I've done a million times that are very like standard, my heart rate still gets pumping because it's just like so exciting and it's live production. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but that kind of side is just really where I truly love to be. You get to tell the story in the moment and you get to see everything happen at one time. Um, specifically, I get to do this a lot in the preseason broadcast that we do at the Chiefs. Um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but <laughs> the NFL gives their teams the opportunity to broadcast their own preseason games, which is a huge business opportunity for each club. Um, so we as the Chiefs, we hire freelancers and we hire a truck, but we come in and we set the storylines and we create the content that does that. So I spend basically my whole summer creating every kind of graphic element, every kind of video element that we could need on live TV and utilize them hopefully in those four games. Um, but that's kind of where my skill sets are is just creating storylines in the moment, um, directing people when it's stressful, when there's a con he hectic control room, things go wrong, driving people in the right direction, keeping people calm and, and telling the story as it's going on as opposed to from behind Adobe Premiere Pro. Yes, that's a very good explanation of that world and a very important aspect of my college experience because I got to work at Razorback Sports Network for my junior and senior year. And I think even though broadcast side of things wasn't my um, favorite thing to do, I knew it was important to learn that side of things. And it's probably one of the reasons that helped me stand out. Mm -hmm. when applying to the Chiefs is because I had that experience in college. So tell me a little bit about how like current college students or maybe recent grads could get their foot in the door in that world um, and what the best route for doing that is. Yeah, I talk about this a lot and it's like my soapbox, my hill that I will die on is that the experience that you get in college is truly unmatched, especially if you are at um, an SEC school, an ACC school, all the people that I'm meeting out of these schools have the experience of a 40-year-old that works in the TV trucks. The TV trucks are often a really hard thing to get into because people that, have doing, that are doing that have been doing it for so long that it's really hard to break into that. But the college side is really where there are openings and they're training people every single day. Um, 
and they have the high-end equipment there. So if you're in college at one of those schools and even like UT has a network like that, Baylor has a network like that, like all these schools that aren't just SEC or ACC, they have some sort of system that they will be broadcasting to their video boards, they will be broadcasting to some streaming service. Get your foot in the door there because they need help. I guarantee it, they need help. They have equipment that will help you learn. Minor league baseball, like they always need interns in the summer and they have equipment that they're putting up on the video boards. As much equipment as you can get your hands on, that's always what I tell people, like practice it. Get your hands on it, add it to your to your resume. If you know um, what's what's the, the, the three play, like that's a, a different replay system than the Dreamcatcher, which is what we know, or the EVS, it doesn't matter. They all basically do the same thing. So get your hands on that, get practice with that. And that is just one more thing that makes you stand out. If you know how to run a broadcast camera, that's different than knowing how to run a black magic camera or just a handheld camera. So that's another thing that helps you stand out. Ask your athletic department, how are they doing their video board shows? How are they doing their, their social streams? And get your foot in the door that way. And even recent grads, there are people everywhere that are doing video board shows, even high school. Like high schoolers here have video boards at their, uh, at their facilities. So get your foot in the door there. Basically, any way you can get your hands on more equipment, get your hands on just seeing what the control room is like, that's my number one advice to people is just get your foot in the door anywhere and you can go anywhere from there. Perfect. That is great advice. And speaking of advice, we are actually going to get into our call-in section of the podcast so we don't lose our uh, single call-in. But we have Brianna on the line. Let's see what she has to say. Hello. Hello, Brianna. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, let's just start off with a quick introduction of yourself. Uh, just say your name and cu currently what you're doing if you're a student or if you're working, uh, just so we have some more context on where you're at. And then you can shoot off your first question after that. Awesome. Yeah, I am a senior. I'm graduating next semester um, from College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri. So I'm not too far from Kansas City. Um, and I am the sports producer here. So it was basically there were no really sports videos until I came because no one really cared. But um, I just had a passion for it and I've done it and just make a lot of videos. So nice. that's awesome to hear. And what's your uh, first question? Yeah. So um, I'm at that stage to where like I'm graduating, but I don't really know what the next step is because I just I don't know. I feel overwhelmed and not really sure like what to do. That's a great question. I think it's very overwhelming to be leaving college and taking that first step. You never really know where to go. And that is the most daunting task. I remember being terrified when my college experience was coming to an end, being like, where is this going to take me? What should I do from here? The biggest thing, I think, is just apply, apply, apply for any and everything. Be open to wherever and whenever a lot of stuff, especially right now, I know a lot of people are struggling to get jobs in this market with COVID and everything like that, but just keep being persistent, keep trying. Um, I know Billy had experience with this of applying to hundreds of jobs before he got one yes, and it'll feel really daunting to go through that process, especially when you start getting interviews and go deep into the process and start thinking, what is this going to be like if I get this job? And you start getting excited just keep being persistent and know that the right opportunity will come out of where you are. And I think also just being open to any kind of job. You never know what that job actually means or where that job can take you. 
I know at the Chiefs, when we hire our seasonals, we hire multiple people with all different range of skill sets, and they don't really know what they're going to be doing until we get them. We don't really know what they're going to be doing until they arrive because we learn where their strengths are, and then we put them in a position to succeed with those strengths. So be open to a job, even if it's not the description that you want. Be open to it because it may turn into the job that you want. That's a really good answer, Anna, and I'll add a little bit to that. Um, it, yes, being a senior in college, I'm sure even right now in this current state of a pandemic, um, is very scary. And, you know, three, three and a half years ago, I was a senior as well, trying to figure out my next move. And it was very scary and very um, nerve wracking to, you know, try to picture what my next couple of years were going to look like. Um, and so, yeah, like Anna said, cast a wide open net. Um, that's what I did when I was applying. I didn't care what city, what state, what position, what team, what league, what sport that I was going to be working for. Or even if it wasn't sports, I was even applying to like corporate jobs and corporate video positions. Um, just trying to increase my chances at getting some response or a yes or an opportunity to get experience um, just to give me the best possible chance um, compared to not casting a wide open net. Uh, I think that's our first big piece of advice. And um, a second thing to think about would be just to ask yourself, like, where do you wanna be? Like, what do you wanna do? Do you see yourself doing a certain position, working for a certain team? Um, like, I guess I'll just ask you straight up, like, what do you know what you want to do after college? I mean, my main, I've been keeping up with, like, checking at the Chiefs because, I mean, I live super close to Kansas City. I'm a huge Chiefs fan. So, I mean, that was, like, my dream position is to do video work for that then. I definitely say from my point of view, like, we have people from so many different backgrounds and experience levels that come into the Chiefs that not everybody's path, path is the same. Even though Billy and I were able to get in right out of college, we have some seasonals that are here now as their third or fourth stop, and that's fine. Everybody has a different path to getting to where they wanna be, and I think it's hard to tell young people sometimes, like your first job is not going to be your dream job, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be. And even if you find a job in, in the city and you start freelancing with sports teams that are in that area, that's also a good way to get your foot in the door and stick with sports, even if there's not a job at the Chiefs Open or at Sporting or at the Royals. You know, the, the jobs that you want as your dream job, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't get in there in other ways. So just be creative in your methods, you know, boost your resume. I'd also say we've had people that work at the Chiefs full time now that applied multiple years, but they went and did something else in between. And that's what really made them stand out and put them the step that they needed to get in to get in the door. So just keep being persistent and don't forget what your final goal is, that you'll get there one way or another. Um, my next question is, so like there's a lot of schools like around me that don't really have the video stuff aspect. So do you like, would you encourage like, I mean, cause I like just put a lot of my videos and like stuff on Vimeo and like, I mean, I'm thinking of potentially just sending them out and being like, this is what, I mean, even if it's like not getting paid for it for a little bit, but like just experience. Cause I mean, I've done it at CFO for three years. I mean, I even extended this semester just to um, 
do more sports, but with COVID, all sports got canceled. So, um, yeah, because I just want to get out there, but not really sure. Yeah, uh, I think that's actually a, a great idea is if you see, you know, nearby teams, nearby schools and nearby colleges that don't have, you know, up-to-date video content and you don't really see that their social is taking advantage of video content or taking advantage of whatever it is that you like to do, you want to be better at, uh, whatever your specialty is, I would definitely reach out and, you know, show them what you can do. And, you know, there's there's two sides of the whole working for free thing. Some people say never work for free. Um, others say yeah. it's okay to work for free. I'm on the side that if you're trying to get experience and, you know, get better, then working for free is one of the best ways to get free experience because although it's not ideal, like you're not getting paid and obviously you should be getting paid. I, when I was starting off, I would work for free because I would instead of looking at it as them taking advantage of me for my creative skill set and giving them content, I would look at it as, as me taking advantage of them for putting me in a situation where I could gain experience so that I could take that to the next client or the next project or the next whatever and say, hey, this is what I can do. This is what my rate is. So I think working for free is a huge... Um, tool to use, especially when you're starting out, because that's how you can get um, the experience and the practice to get better and to get to a point where you can actually get paid. Um, You know, obviously, we we all want to get paid. But if you're, you know, just starting off, or you're maybe not, you know, where you want to be as a creative, um, or maybe the clients, you know, don't think you are, you're the right fit or something, then off, offering to do it for free is like the ultimate, um, like ultimate card to play because there, there's no risk. Like even if you're maybe like when I started out, I wasn't good. So the way I thought of it was like, I'm doing it for free. So if you, if you think it's bad, if you think it's trash, if you think my stuff sucks, that's fine. Like it's free. There's no, like, I don't feel pressure to produce this amazing piece of content for whoever I'm working for free for because it's free and they yeah. should understand that they're not paying me. So if their expect expectations are in the sky then they should get someone and pay someone and mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you should reach out. Maybe not throw that off the bat right away. I would definitely not say I'm going to work for free right off the bat. Like see if, you know, reach out to those people that work at those colleges or reach out to the colleges themselves and say, hey, you know, I see A, B, and C. I could help with X, Y, Z. Like, would you be interested in that? And then if they say yes, then, you know, you could talk about rates or talk about getting paid. And then if they say and eh, like, we don't really have the budget for that. Say, what is your budget? I'll do it for that cost, or I'll do it for half your budget. So at least you get something. And then if they're like, oh, we don't actually have a budget, it's COVID, blah, 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 more excuses, then say, all right, like, I'll do it for free. Like, are you going to turn down free work? And most of the time, people 
will be like, all right, if she's going to do it for free, like here's a pass. So yes, long answer to your short question. You should definitely reach out and try to get as much experience as possible. Um, and working for free is not a bad option. I also think that Billy's taught me this, that you can be creative in where you get the experience. Billy started out shooting Quidditch at Arkansas just for fun because he wanted to get more experience. So, you know, if maybe the athletics department in the college around you says we don't need it or we can't afford it, then shoot intramurals or shoot, you know, get your friends together and have them just play soccer together and shoot that. Shoot whatever you can find and be creative with what you have. And that, to me, shows more creativity than shooting anything is that you're able to find, you're able to get the shot, find what you need and make it into something entertaining and cool. And that shows your creativity more than anything, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah. So my, as I'm graduating, what's like with the resumes, like what's something that you can really do to stand out, like to make it different from... In my opinion, with the resume, the biggest thing that stands out to me is all the things that you can list that you know, equipment, software, anything. If you have a skill set that you know, list it. I like to open a resume and see where it says skills, and it's like Premiere, After Effects, this camera, this camera, this camera, this piece of software, this, this, this. That is the first thing I look for specifically in this industry, it's probably not the same, you know, in real estate or sales. But in this industry, describing your job is obviously important. But as much as the skills matter, all the equipment that you know, all the software that you know, everything that you've gotten experience using, to me, stands out more than anything. And also being able to provide, this is something I've, I've learned in my time, providing results for what you've been able to do, finding real numbers being able to say, I've created this many impressions on social or this many video views. I directed a video board show for this many fans. Really gives context to what you're doing instead of just create content. That's very vague. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people can do that. So providing more context to what you're able to do is my number one advice as well. And then I'll add a little bit onto that. Um, my first easy piece of advice is to make it one page. Um, a lot of people, more than you think, will send in, you know, one and a half pages, two pages of a resume. And when you're applying to places like hiring managers and the people looking at those resumes are really just skimming the resume. So, you know, having stuff on two pages, that that just means you have a lot of stuff. And... Um, to me, it also shows that you can't format or creatively, you know, trim the fat of your project. So, like, I look at the resume as a project, as a piece of art. And, like, how are you going to make that piece of art easy to consume? Like, just like social media content, just like, you know, content in the real world, like, you, I think something that is helpful to think about is to make your resume and make your real easy to consume. So um, uh, some more advice on that is like having your reel easy to access on your website or 
wherever it lives, like make it the first thing that pops up. Like you go to your website and the reel is right there. So people know exactly, okay, I can, you know, I go to your website and I, oh, the reel's right there. A lot of people, they put their reels behind a menu, behind navigation bars, behind an about me page. Like it takes four to five clicks to get to that reel or to get to that, you know, video that you're trying to show off. Um, mm -hmm. And what I do and what I try to tell people to do is to make it under two clicks. Like it should be one click, honestly. Like I should hit enter to go to your website and it should take me one click to get to your reel or one click to get to whatever video you want to show off um, that you're trying to, you know, impress whoever you're, um, wherever you're applying to. So, um, yeah, again, with what Anna said about the resume, making sure you list all your experiences, even though I didn't want to do much of control room stuff at the Chiefs, I didn't really want to do, you know, like replay or TDing or shading or like that stuff. I still had a lot of that experience in college. I had two years of experience of that. And that was one of the main things I put in my resume. And that's what one of the main things that made me stand out because not many college students have any broadcast experience. So even though it's not what I wanted to do, I, you know, it's still important to sh show the list of what you can do. So that way, um, people looking at your resume know that you're, you know, more of a jack of all trades rather than a specific, um, you just have one specific skill set. Yeah. Awesome. That's all I had, but answered Perfect. a lot of questions for me. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Thanks, right. thanks for uh, hopping on the podcast and thanks for asking those questions. Thank you. We Great. might have another call in, but uh, there's no more in the waiting room. So that we'll just have one call in for this podcast, which is not a bad thing. No. Andre Robinson, who I think should have had 1,700 call ins. Yeah. I don't know why he just got one call in. I thought of all the people I've interviewed so far, I thought he would get the most like, He's amazing. requests. Like, yeah, his, his work is phenomenal. Yeah. And I just had one call it, like one person reached just out. Just means you get like, to talk to him more. Okay, yeah. And, and then I had to switch it and, and talk to him more. And he was super confident in his answers. And I was not really ready for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about what Rihanna was talking about. So she's a senior in college. A lot of people listening to this podcast, I assume, are college students um, getting ready to graduate, go into workforce. And what is a piece of advice you have for them to – you know, make that, take that next step. Yeah, I. it's so hard. I, I do not envy these people right now that are trying to get into the industry. It is so, so daunting. And I think it's so hard to compare yourself to other people, especially with social media. And I struggle with this even now, comparing myself to people that I see that are my age or people that are doing my same position that are doing things that are cooler or things that are like more exciting and you just can't do that you can't compare yourself you never know what's happening behind the scenes on the hiring side and now that I've gone through a couple hiring cycles of hiring seasonal interns I think it's so e much easier for me to understand that the hiring side is is so sketchy like it is so up and down and you never know what they're looking for because a lot of times people post very generic job descriptions 
and you never know what they actually want that job to do. So it's hard to not get discouraged when you don't get the job you want or you don't get an interview for that job. It's hard to know who they had in line for that job or who somebody knows that, you know, kind of had an, an early in or what do they want that job to actually be a social producer? Or do they want that job to be a control room producer? You never truly know. So the biggest advice is just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And when you see your friend get an interview after two, two job applications and you're on number 50, it's just so hard to not get discouraged. But you have to know that people that are successful, like you, Billy, have gone through so many applications and weeded through so much, so many interviews even. it's To me, the interview stage is the hardest because once you get an interview, you start to envision yourself in that position. You start to see yourself with that company and you start getting excited. When you don't follow in that interview, you feel heartbroken and it's really hard I had that experience actually at Nebraska. I got an interview there when I was applying for jobs. I think I did two or three rounds of interviews and I was like getting set. You know, my husband's from Nebraska. I was like, this is exciting. This feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, when they called and said you didn't get it, there's somebody more experienced that we went with instead. It was hard because you start to picture yourself in that space and you start to picture where your career can go from there. And obviously it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And I'm so thankful that didn't happen. But I think it's just difficult when you get to that stage to know that there is so much else going on that could be a reason you didn't get that job. It's not always about you. It's not always about you being inadequate. Hardly ever is it about you being inadequate if you get to that that space. So just keep persisting, keep trying get your foot in the door, apply again. If you don't get it the first time and they list it again, apply again. Just keep reminding people like, I, I want to be here. Shoot, send that person an email, that hiring manager, send them an email. Um, even if they don't reply, send them another one. You know, just keep reminding them of your name, keep reminding them who you are and just keep keep grinding and you'll get where you need to be. Yep, I really, I really like what you said about um, even if you get a no, you know, it doesn't mean that, like, you'll realize down the road that that no actually was good. It was good. Like, yeah, like, it wasn't a negative. It was a positive because if, if you don't take that position, you end up at a different position, and that's what led you to your current position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens all the time. And I there's thousands of examples with me of, you know, if I took the creative director job in Cincinnati at the um, the Bearcats yeah that college I I was top five for that I, yeah. inter- I maybe even top three they interviewed me and I was about to be out of college a creative director <laughs> that's crazy for their uh the football team at Cincinnati or whatever that football team is mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember what, what the Bearcats yeah, I the, think the yeah. Bearcats um and like they told me no, and I was devastated because I was like, "This is my dream position. This is my dream job." Yep. But if I had gone there, I wouldn't have gone to the Kansas City Chiefs as an intern. Right. I wouldn't have gone full time at the Chiefs, and then I wouldn't have joined Let It Fly Media and like be at the current position. So, um, be not thankful for your nose, but understand that your nose 
are actually just yeses in disguise. Yeah. Um, That's really good. And I think Stacy talked about this when she was on the podcast with you, that we are still so young. Like, the people that are coming out of college, you feel like your whole life is ahead of you, and you see people that are super, super successful at a young age, and you never know what it took for them to get there. And honestly, a lot of it's luck. Like, a lot of it's luck that I ended up where I'm at. A lot of it's luck that you ended up where you're at. Like, a lot of it's luck for everyone. So it is so hard to be young and see people that are young succeeding. And you have to know that, like, some people get their dream job when they're 30. Some people get their dream job when they're 40. Some people get their dream job when they're 50. Like, there is so much life ahead of you that you may have to go through those hard positions that are not exactly what you envision for your career, but there's an opportunity there for you to find that space and pivot. And I think a good example of this is our former coworker, Greg, at the Chiefs. He came out of college and got an internship at Villanova, and he was there doing everything. I think he was one of three employees or something like that. He was doing social shoots. He was shooting every single sport. He was doing edits for social, and he was also live streaming. So he was doing live production. And that was really what tipped him over into getting our job was that he was so versatile and had experience on both sides. But just because he had live production experience there and they needed him to do that, they needed him to stream games to their website because they had nobody else. But he found his niche in social and that's what he liked to do. So he was working extra hard to do the social edits and that's what he put his main emphasis in because that's where he saw his path and his skill set. So of course, like we pulled his resume because he was so experienced and had so many things on there and tasks that he did. But he was able to say like, okay, well at Villanova, I had all this experience and had all these opportunities. And through that, I found that I like to do social edits. And that's where he thrives now at the Chiefs is doing social edits. So I think it's so important that if you get a job at a college and you're going to be doing everything or you're going to be shooting football video like for coaches, it doesn't mean that that's where you're stuck. You know, use that opportunity and volunteer to do something else. Or if you're doing football video, volunteer to do to shoot basketball on the weekends. You know, like find spaces, use the connections that you meet at these new positions to really hone your skill set in on what you want to do in the future. Exactly. And Greg is full-time now at the Chiefs, right? He is, yes. Yeah, He's so a rock star. He went from Villanova to interning at the Chiefs to full-time at the Chiefs. And I remember interviewing Greg. Yes. That was kind of my last couple of months at the Chiefs. We were trying to pick our seasonals. Um, you mentioned interviewing earlier, and I don't think I've talked a lot about interviewing on this podcast. So um, I'm going to ask a question about that. Like, what, what are some things people can do to stand out during an interview? Yeah, I've learned so much about interviews that I think now I wish I could go back and redo the interviews I did out of college. Um, that's a really hard question, like what people should do to stand out. In my opinion, it's confidence. Like that's the number one thing that radiates to me when I do an interview. I prefer to do interviews over Skype or over Zoom because I like to see that person's confidence in their body language, in their like appearance not even physical appearance but just how they're like how they are as a person and to me that's what carries more than anything is their confidence um I also think like 
it is so easy to be cookie cutter in interviews and say like, this is, you know, I really like to do social edits or I really like to do this. And I think talking about things that are maybe not as cookie cutter helps you stand out. Um, a question I always like to ask people is tell me about a project that you failed at and why. And that always kind of catches people off guard. Like, why do they want to know something I did poorly? But it shows a lot about you and who you are. Um, it shows where you place your blame on stuff that you didn't succeed at. And it also shows that you know how to critique yourself. Um, so I think being aware of the questions that maybe aren't so straightforward is a good thing to know. You know, try to figure out what their true intentions are with the question to find out, like, can this person be self-taught? Can this person critique their own work or do they th just think they're the best at everything? Um, so confidence, not just in your successes, but in your failures is the biggest thing to me. You know, where where can you grow? Where do you want to want to see yourself grow, but you aren't there yet? And I also think just being yourself, you know, when you do as a hiring manager, I'm not a manager, but as someone who hires people, when you sit through eight interviews in a row, they can get monotonous. I try to like lighten up the mood and keep people, you know, casual and fun. But the people that just radiate as humans are the people that usually stand out to me the most. Um, and the people that are just confident in their work and confident in what they do and where they want to be and are just real. That's what stands out to me in the most in an interview. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm, it's shocking sometimes to think about the number of times we've interviewed people and looked through uh, resumes and reels and we're only like three years out of college. I know, like, I know. I feel, <laughs> sometimes I feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome in that. <laughs> but I, I, I think I'm a good judge of character and sometimes that's all you want when you're hiring an entry-level person. You just want somebody that has good character and can handle themselves in professional situations. We teach our seasonals so much. Like every place does something differently. So, you know, we have a specific logging software that I know nobody else has or some people do, but not many people do. So, of course, I'm not going to knock you if you say, I don't know, CatDV, because, of course, who would? But what I want to know is if you're teachable and if you are able to take critiques and able to understand that you're wrong sometimes and that you can be, you know, taught the correct method. And that's the kind of stuff that in an interview I want to be able to know about you. It's less like your resume that's kind of twisted because I just told um, our guest, you know, list all your skills. I care about your skills, 100%. I do. But like that your resume already says that. So in an interview, I want you to tell me something that your resume didn't already tell me or give context to it. Like, how much did you know this software? How comfortable are you using this software? And, you know, wh where have you used it? What have you learned from it? That's the kind of stuff that in an interview I'm always craving. And what about CV letters? Are those overrated or underrated? Oh, cover letters. I read them. I think that maybe that's because I'm like still new in hiring people and I don't do it often. I don't know if HR people read them, to be honest, but I don't care. I think, I think they're not overrated, but I think they can be tweaked. 
I think people that have a cookie cutter cover letter, that annoys me. But I like to read cover letters that are entertaining or factual, like educational for me as someone who's going to hire you. I think when you're talking about like a resume being a piece of art and sometimes you have to cut stuff, the cover letter is where you add context to what's in your resume. So if you want to explain more about your job and more about what you like about the job, do it in the cover letter. You know, like that's the place where you should be doing it. I have seen, I can't even tell you how many cover letters I've seen that have copy and paste errors. Like read, yes. read your cover letter before 100%. you apply. That's the only thing I look for. I know you are applying to like 700 jobs. I get it. And there are mistakes. I probably did it too. But when there's a, a thing at the end, you know, that says, I can't wait to work at the Baltimore Ravens when you're applying for the Chiefs, that, that to me says more than anything because it shows that you're not vigilant and that you don't care. And I know that's not true, but that is my like number one pet peeve. And a big reason I do read the cover letters is because I want to see if it's a copy and paste error. And, you know, I, I would much rather you write a completely new cover letter for my job. You know, like I don't want it to be just straight up about this. If you want to write a paragraph about how much you love Kansas City as a city, like you've been here and you enjoy it, I would love that because it shows that you're putting an extra effort into getting the job that specifically achieves. Um, and I think the biggest thing too with cover letters is your cover letters should mimic the job description. So just because you're applying for a bunch of different jobs that have different job descriptions, take parts of the job description and put it in your cover letter. You know, if it asks you to be someone who is good at like managerial logging of footage, like put something in there in your cover letter that says that you're good at that. It's the same with the resume, like tweak your resume for the job. And that to me is so important. Great advice on resumes and cover letters. I think not many people talk about that. I'm no expert though. Just want to disclaim that. I'm not an expert. (laughs) We are not experts. You know what? This this whole podcast (laughs) disclaimer. (laughs) Disclaimer. I can't guarantee anything. Asterisk, asterisk. We are not at your own risk. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk more about the elephant in the room. I think you're my first guest with a Super Bowl ring. Hey, we have a Super Bowl champion. I should have brought it in the building. No, you shouldn't because I would have been jealous. (laughs) But how does it feel to work for? The Chiefs, they just won the Super Bowl. Like, tell me about that past season. It's amazing. I I think about it often, especially with how 2020's been. I think back to February 2nd, 2020, and how that was in this year, and I refuse to believe that's factual. It's not. It's not. It's not real life. But that was truly a whirlwind, and I think back to it, and I'm like, I, I don't think I slept very much. There was just a lot of anxiety going into it, but it was so much fun and like truly once in a lifetime. And I think it was different for every every person, you know, and it's it's hard when you when you work for the Chiefs and you have a good team that you <laughs> sit back and you're like, we could do this again. But you, you never know. Like, I'm pretty sure it hasn't Aaron Rodgers only made one Super Bowl like that. The craziest thing is you could not go back. So you try to enjoy every moment of it, even when it's just a lot of work and a lot of time goes into it and it's a lot of stress. But 
you try to just take it for what it is and the fact that you are at the Super Bowl. Like, it didn't click for me that I was at the Super Bowl until the buses were pulling up to the stadium and I was like, whoa, this is, like, the actual Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, no, it's just like a fake Super <laughs> In Bowl. In Miami. In Miami, the Super Bowl, TM, the Super Bowl. And I think the biggest thing that I learned is just how much work a Super Bowl is for a team. When... We won the playoff game, the AFC Championship. Of course, you know, in 2018, if you guys follow the Chiefs, in 2018, we almost got there. We lost in the AFC Championship, which is the worst feeling ever. Yeah, terrible. Uh, That was Billy was was with us at the time. That That was was a shot. Um, We lost, and that was really, really hard because you you had already started preparing for the Super Bowl. You have to start preparing and making plans for what it's going to be like if you go to the Super Bowl because it happens so, so fast. So we had already talked about it in 2018. We, we were talking about tickets. We were talking about tickets. We were talking about who's planes, coming. Hotels, my husband was like, already, took the, <laughs> already took the days off. He's I told like, my dad, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, gosh. We were ready. <laughs> it makes me cringe thinking about it right now. And so that was like the hardest thing I think about losing the AFC championship is that you knew what was coming. But now thinking back, like I had no idea what was coming because then the next year, maybe we were more prepared because we knew kind of what the process was going to be going into it. But the craziest thing is just how much work goes into a Super Bowl because as soon as you win the AFC championship, all eyes turn turn to Super Bowl. And it's two weeks away. But you have two weeks, really a week, because the team leaves on the Sunday before the Super Bowl. So basically three-fourths of our staff left with the team. So you have a week to really get all your stuff in line, to figure out what equipment you're taking, who's doing what, all the extra events that go into a Super Bowl that you have no idea is coming, and figure out, you know, how are we going to do our podcast? How are we going to do our weekly show that we edit? How are we going to do X, Y, Z? Like... You have to cram so much in. We did a full production shoot with the players with this, you know, LED wall and graphics with their Super Bowl jerseys that we turned around in like three days. You know, like we had prepared for it a bit, but it was so, so fast and happened so, so quickly that that week after the AFC Championship was so stressful getting everything in line. And it was just meetings after meetings talking about all the things that we were going to have to do in Miami, everything that we had to do back here to get ready for it. And of course, the week of the Super Bowl was hectic. We were streaming press conferences every single day for an hour at a time. And these press conferences, if you guys don't know, are not normal press conferences. They put them in a room with like 30 podiums going at one time and they all just show up and sit down. Like it is stressful. And we're trying to produce a live stream around these press conferences. And it's just like our camera guys are hopping from presser to presser to presser. And then you have the main stage where Coach and Pat go. And that happens every single day for a week. So we were doing that. And those were in the morning at like 6 a.m. Kansas City time. So we're doing that every single day back here in Kansas City, streaming that. Um, We also put on a pep rally two days before the Super Bowl. So we actually the day before the Super Bowl. We were scripting that show – my bosses, Brad Young and um, my girl, Kristen Pugh, were scripting together this whole show, putting together all the videos and everything we were going to show at this pep rally. And that pep rally turned out to be awesome, but, but way more work than we were expecting. Um, and we live streamed the pep rally as well. So that was a whole nother asset we had to add in. The media day was a whole nother thing for our camera guys. Every single day, practice or some event 
there was just everything that surrounds the Super Bowl is stuff you just have no idea until you get there how much work it's going to be. Um, even <laughs> this is so crazy, but we got the chance to play one edited piece in the stadium, like in a break, in a quarter break, one 30 second video. And the back and forth that we went on, like, what song should we use? Because we had to have rights to the song. What song should we use? What should we edit it? What should it even be? Should it be like a Kansas City video? Should it be a hype video? And we're throwing this together like four days before we leave for the Super Bowl. And our seasonal, one of our seasonal assistants, Ben but- Bucknot, was able to put that together, but in like a day. Like, it's just crazy. The back and forth that we're going to get that approved to do everything. It's just, it's a normal week times a thousand that you have no idea is coming. And I think that was a big reason I didn't expect to feel like I was at the Super Bowl until I pulled up there was because it was just so much work going into it. We even did a pregame live stream from the pregame tailgate, like out there with a camera and a Teradek cube. And that was it. Like no fancy production software, but we made it work and we did a live stream with one of our two of our talent and um, one former player that were there and they just talked about the game. And so the amount of stuff that we were doing up until kickoff and then of course all the shooting that was going on at the game, all of our shooters out there with stuff that you don't expect, you know, rules, guidelines, everything extra, and then you win the game and it's just a whirlwind. <laughs> And that's the end. Right. Like, that's, that's yeah. the end. And then, and then you, you got to come home and do the parade, <laughs> oh, which no. is a whole nother thing. You do a parade two days later. And it was it was a lot. Yeah. It was after that you needed a, a long 24-hour sleep. So for those that don't know much about the streaming side of things, when you say stream, like, it's more than just one person with a camera. Like, yeah. explain what your role is and – how that workflow kind of works, just so people understand yeah. how you can do something in Miami, but you're in KC. Yeah, so the streaming is really like kind of a new part of the industry and something that we at the Chiefs are trying to put a huge emphasis in just because, you know, audience on social media becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Less people have cable, less people have that traditional TV setup, and more people are turning to the non traditional places Twitter, YouTube, Facebook for their content. So basically way back, probably three years ago, I think it was my second season, we decided to start doing a pregame show that would air only on social media. Um, This show was running about an hour to kick off, maybe 45 minutes to kick off up till 15 minutes, 30 minute pregame. We would have two hosts on the field, interviews, all kinds of fun content that we would add in, but it was only going on Facebook YouTube, Twitter, that was really the only place you could find it. And we saw huge success there. So when I say streaming, like that's just where we're outputting it to. The amount of work that goes into the behind is the same as doing a video board show. You know, you still have to use a switcher. You still have to bring the cameras to you somehow, technically. Like you have to have the connection set up. You have to have audio run back and forth. You have to have IFB to the talent so you can talk to them and guide them in the right direction and cue them when they're back on air. So I think that's kind of the side that people don't understand that when they're watching a Facebook stream or a YouTube stream, that all the back end stuff is just as difficult as it is to put on a large show. You, you still need the infrastructure there. 
It's just the output is different. Instead of putting it to a video board or putting it to, you know, or satellite to send it out to TV, you're putting it to Facebook or putting it to YouTube. And we've seen huge success in that. So we took our post-game show that was typically airing on TV here locally around 11 p.m. after all the games were over. We decided to transition that into being social show. Um, we were able to put it on social immediately following the game. So it was live content, live press conferences, live interviews, live analysis that people couldn't get anywhere else. You know, you can't go to any other social media site or any other TV network and find it only Chiefs postgame show. So that's where we really found success. But it's the same kind of infrastructure. You need eight to ten people behind the scenes to be producing that show. So even though you're watching it, on Facebook and it looks just like a Facebook video, you still need a graphics operator, you need a replay operator, you need camera people, you need talent, you need a director, you need those people that are guiding the show. And so there's a million ways you can do it, but in Miami specifically, which I know is what you asked about and I went on a tangent there, but in Miami, we had issues because usually when we're doing these post-game shows and pre-game shows, they are from this from the venue, but me and a crew of people are back at the control room in Kansas City producing it. In Miami, we were there. So we had to figure out a way to produce it there. Um, we used something called a Teradek Cube, which is just a streaming device. And we connected it straight to our Facebook channel. So instead of kind of having a little bit more back-end control, it was really a like press the red button to go live and hope it works, which it actually didn't the first time. If you guys are Chiefs fans, I did start the pregame live stream and there was no audio, so we had to restart it. Um, that was stressful, but part of live production. Um, but we restarted it and just had one camera with audio coming to it, nothing crazy, but it was still as effective. So you can have a live stream that's not as robust, doesn't have these graphics or crazy packages that still work you know it still works on youtube people still want to hear what um at the time bj kissel and matt McMullen had to say about the super bowl because of course they did who didn't um and we made that happen just with one camera and a little cube phenomenal explanation <laughs> that was a lot i'm sorry no you're good. getting too in it. the weeds love- on the technical I like talking about all the backend stuff, the behind the scenes stuff, because I want people to know and understand that there's more than just going to the field with a camera. Exactly. And then going home. Like, and even even the guys that, like our guys, Dane Van Wy, Luke Benna, like these guys that are shooting on the field, they are still a crucial part of our live stream workflow. So even though their main thing is shooting for um, edits later, shooting for post-production, we rely on them to get us the content. So as somebody who works in that that specialty, you still have to be aware of how it all works because they are instrumental, especially right now because they're the only ones that can be around the players. They're instrumental in understanding how to live stream their camera back to us. We use Dejeros, which basically just transmits the signal. They have to know how that works and they have to know how the whole process of doing a live interview on Facebook works because they're the ones that are facilitating that. And so we rely on them to understand the back end. And that's why I think it's so important that people understand that, yeah, it's just, it's not always just take a camera out there and shoot. You have to understand both sides. Yes. And 
We actually are going to have multiple firsts this podcast. We have a second call-in hey! who's late. So we are going to go back to the call-in section with Nelson. We adjust. It's live production here. We adjust. Yes. All right, Nelson. How's it going, y'all? Doing great. How are you? Doing good, man. Just got off of work. Um, it's been a kind of busy day. We got a, I work for George Southern. Um, we got a football game tomorrow, so just kind of setting up for that. Nice. Uh, well, let's start off with the intro of you and kind of where you're at, what you're doing, if you're a student or if you're working, and then you could shoot off your first question to us. Cool. Um, my name is Nelson Gregory. Um, I just graduated from Georgia Southern um, University this past May, um, and I worked there as a student um, assistant producer, just kind of like helping out with the running camera for all the games and stuff. Um, and then they hired me back, um, kind of the pretty much same position, assistant producer, um, kind of helping out with a, a local TV show that we have, um, pretty much like a sports recap weekly uh, show. Um, and I work camera for all the broadcasts um, on ESPN. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's pretty much what I do on a daily basis is just kind of editing highlights and, and running camera and, and stuff like that. Nice. And uh, what's your question for us? So my first question um, would be, I guess since I'm mainly, um, I do a lot of working uh, the camera for uh, broadcast games, and I feel like I'm, I'm really good at um, the whole broadcast aspect of, of filming and shooting. Um, but I also, like, I feel like creative, the creative aspect and creative side of, of shooting is something that I'm more kind of drawn into. Um, just, like, scrolling through my timeline and following uh, you and, like, other all the other creatives out there, um, all the other schools. Um, so it's something that I've always wanted to, like, hop into. Um, but just being for someone that just mainly shoots broadcast, it's just kind of like how do you, I guess, make that transition into – more sporting um well like more creative the more creative side of things yeah that's a really good question um so do you when you work at uh georgia georgia southern are you working like all games or just specific games you're on broadcast cameras yeah so if i'm not working a game um so we broadcast pretty much all all the sports uh soccer football basketball um, so recently for the soccer games, um, for the, our TV show that we have, they'll let me go out there um, with a Black Magic Ursa, um, put a 70 by 200 on, and just kind of shoot B-roll for the uh, for the game. So that's been like ever since I started doing that, I was like, man, this is cool. This is this is a lot better than than being on broadcast. A um, lot more, you know, flexibility and just room to just be creative. So like ever since I started doing that, I was like, man, this is this is like. Fun, like more fun than, than being on a broadcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess my advice for you would be, A, like, I guess let your bosses know that that's something you're more interested in. Like, see if you have the personnel to, you know, fill your current role as a camera operator for broadcast and, you know, see if you can get out there with your uh, for other sports. Um, that's good that you're getting some experience now with soccer and definitely take advantage of all those experiences when you do get those opportunities um, just so that way you could use those opportunities to shoot um, like more creatively on the ground um, to show that you can do it for other sports. 
So I think step one is you're already getting opportunities. So just making sure to leverage that opportunity into getting more um, chances at you know doing what you want to do. And then also talking with your higher ups and just letting them know that that's where your interest lies. Because most of the times, um, you know, people in higher up positions, you want people working for them to be happy and to be in positions that they'll succeed the most in. And, you know, if I was your boss and you came to me and you said, hey, like, I know I'm doing broadcast cameras right now and, you know, I'll do that for as long as you need me to. But I do have an interest in, you know, sh taking the Ursa out there and shooting um, on that more for like social media posts or whatever. Like, is there a way to, you know, get my spot covered or like, can we figure out a plan or some strategy so I could get more chances of doing that? Maybe it's not all the time, but, you know, it gets you some more reps. And then when you do get those opportunities, same like you're doing now with soccer, just take advantage and like ball out, you know, um, get dope shots. Like if maybe the social, social media team is like, wow, we're getting some dope shots from Nelson. Like, can we get more of that? Can you go to all the games? Like, um, I think that's your first step. And I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah. I think even if you aren't finding opportunities to do more shooting, in the places that you want to, I think editing can also make you a better shooter. So if you're able to find opportunities to take this, the footage that other people have shot and edit it into something creative and also looking at other people's footage, I know for me is the best way for me to learn what I should be looking for. You know, when you watch other people like Billy or other creators out there and you see like, oh, that's an interesting angle he took there or like that's something I wouldn't have ever thought to shoot during a game that makes you a better shooter. So even if you can't get on the field and have those opportunities to take the camera out there and learn, take some other footage and edit something or look, just do more research on what you should be prepared for. That way, when you do get the opportunity, then you know what you're trying to do. You know what you're going out there to get and it makes you stand out even more. I'll actually add on top of that. Um, let's say, you know, worst case scenario, your boss says no for whatever reason, you know, COVID personnel reason, you don't have enough bodies to cover. Like, let's just say you can't get access because you are needed at your current position on a camera for broadcast. Um, your next step, if I were in your shoes, would be to find opportunities outside of Georgia Southern. Like, see if you can borrow that Ursa and that 7200 and you know see if you have time when there's not a game happening to go shoot in your mirror sports or shoot you know a practice or shoot like whatever like whatever you want to shoot like you you could probably find it outside of the windows where you have to work actual games and maybe that leads to you getting better putting in reps um and that could lead, that turns into that leverage that I was talking about earlier that you could bring to your bosses or bring to the social team and say, hey, like I didn't, you know, you have me as a camera op right now, I'm, I'm doing that. And like, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But on in my free time, I went and did this. Like, 
is there any way that this would be helpful for us for our social channels or whatever so that's also your backup plan if my first original plan didn't, didn't work no and i agree i you got, i agree with a lot of the um stuff you said um another thing like like you said with re- reaching out to people um so like whenever I'm at a game or something like the days I work like I did bring out the Ursa like I would talk to pretty much the creative team that is at Georgia Southern like just you know hey how's it going um, how are you guys doing and, and introducing myself and stuff like that um, and after a while like um, you know just like how you said in, a, in a, one of the podcasts before just like dropping flames on someone's you know Twitter like hey man that's really dope how you how you cut that you know it's like so I started talking to them. And they're like, yeah, man, we'd love to, you know, anytime you, you could, you know, come, you know, work with us, like, we wouldn't mind that. But my thing, like, I didn't want to have it to be, like, a conflict of interest between, like, you know, and I guess that's something I need to talk with my boss more about, with just, like, working with the broadcast and then, like, in my spare time, um, working with them um, for the creative side of stuff. Because, um, yeah, that was just one of my, like, like I didn't know how – he would feel about it. Um, and, and yes, I mean, that's kind of situation I'm in right now. I was like, I've, I guess thought about it just like, Hey, like, Hey man, yeah, I'll, I'll go work for free, I guess with the creative team or just like, you know, just seeing how much I can learn and, you know, just taking what I can from that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously everyone's situation is different and that's important to be thinking about, uh, your current boss and making sure he's happy and, making sure you're, you know, you're set there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, there's no conflict of interest. It's your interest. So if that's what you want to do, then you need to figure out how to do that. And like, you can't just go on for the next three years being a cam op and just, you know, being stuck in wanting to go do that. Like eventually, and your boss hopefully should understand this. Like if that's what you want to do, that's, something you should you should work towards and um you know hopefully your boss is a nice boss and a uh, and an understanding one obviously obviously there's bad apples out there but if they are then they'll help you get to that spot um and if they're not then you made friends with the social team and you know you can go hang out with them so like like either way you know white or black a or b red or blue you're eventually going to get there so it's really just a matter of doing it, I think. I think people like like employees that show initiative, too. So if you're going out and saying, like, this is what I want to do, it's not bad what I am doing, but I want to do something else. I especially think in those, like, scheduling for broadcast, people tend to just keep scheduling people for stuff that they're already doing because it's what they know. And bosses want to know if you want to change or if they if you want to try something else and that's what I did in college when I was I, I started off just doing shading and I was like I want to do replay can I do replay and they liked that because they liked that I was showing something that I want to do new um, and then I would said I want interest in graphics and TD and that's kind of where I went from there but it only happened because I voiced it like I would like to do that yeah um, so you voicing, like, I want to work with social. Maybe they assume that nobody that's doing broadcast wants to work with social because they like broadcast, and that's fine. Um, but if you're voicing, hey, I would like more opportunities to do this, I guarantee you, like, nine times out of ten, they're going to help you find that opportunity because it's successful for both sides. It, it helps them, but it also helps you. Nice. No, I agree with that. 
get the shot, right, Billy? That's um, what they Get the shot. Any other questions? Um, I guess another question. Um, don't know. I don't really know what all you guys have talked about. Um, in this oh, you're good. Episode, ask, or, ask away. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so would you, like you said, you got more like you, um, have, I guess, experience in the control room. Um, like, so I've, I've TD'd and switched a little bit, like in, in my college, like we had a production like class where you would practice switching and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend, like, like I am a camera operator now, just, I guess, um, specializing in being a camera operator or, or trying to like broaden, like, obviously like it's good to have all these different assets. Like I've ran replay and stuff like that. Um, so is it good to just stick with one, um, I guess skill set and get really good at that or just try to broaden my horizon and, and dabble in everything? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I guess that's more towards that. I think, in my opinion, master the skill that you're already doing and then move on to something else. So it's it's kind of ironic. Like, I always teach the soapbox of finding your specialty. Like, that's where I've succeeded in life is finding my specialty in the control room. And I think finding your specialty includes a lot of different things. So that's kind of the strategy I took was master shading. Now I want to be a cam up didn't love being a cam up for me but then I went to replay and I mastered replay and from there they saw my potential and then I asked to do something else so I think it is good to master one thing but um when you listen back to the podcast you'll hear earlier I was talking about the ways to make your resume stand out in my opinion the more things you can list that you know and that you're proficient at helps you stand out the most. So master camera. And when you feel like I've gotten a lot out of camera, I know I could run a camera, not just here, but anywhere, then do something else. So if you've done replay a couple times, you don't feel completely proficient at it, ask to do that again. Do it a couple times until you feel really good and then go to something else. And I think a good example of this was um, Just last week, actually, or two weeks ago, we were in need of a a replay operator at the Chiefs. We had some things pop up, and we were down a couple people. And I reached out to Mizzou, and I said, hey, do you have any replay operators that could run this machine that we have that not many people in the area have? And they sent back, yes, this one girl, super good at it, has been doing it for years. And she came in and was amazing. So I think... That was an example of someone who found their specific specialty and really thrived in that. But when she came to the Chiefs and was working the game, I asked her, like, do you know technical directing? Do you know graphics? And she was like, yeah, I've done both of those. Replay is really my favorite, but she's done other things. And I think that is huge. Like, if if camera operator is your favorite, master that skill, get experience on other sides so you can say, yeah, I'm proficient at it. You need someone who can do that. And then you use that to get in the door. So you can use that to freelance somewhere else as a camera operator. And then once they know you, they're more willing to put you in another position because they know that you are good. So they understand like, hey, this guy's really good at camera, just like he said he was. He feels confident running replay. Let's put him on replay if we need somebody. So I would say get experience in anything you can in the control room. That is number, number one. I'll add a little bit to that. Um, yeah, that Mizzou example, um, they only sent back one name. It would have been two, it would have been three if those other you know, other college students took the same mindset of getting 
proficient at as many things as possible, but they only sent one name because everybody else probably just stayed in the positions that they started at and, you know, didn't expand to replay. So knowing and mastering each as much as you can gives you more opportunities down the road than just staying on one and mastering it and being the best at that one. Like, sure, every now and then, I'm sure being good at a camera op, you'll be first in line to another opportunity that needs a cam op. But being good at, you know, TD, replay, shading, and everything else, that just increases your chances at getting opportunities other places because you're just increasing the number of positions to get called for. So, um, yeah, if you're a master cam op right now and you feel like, you know, you could tear down, build a camera blindfolded and you're good at focusing, pulling zoom, shooting, all that, perfect. You're, you know, you're, you master listening to the broadcast, um, to the talent and like they're talking about the coach and you're zooming in on the coach and you're beating out everybody else because they're taking your shot and, you know, everyone's just raving about all the shots you're getting. Great let's move on if you want let's move on to the next thing like let's be the best replay op now that you understand what it takes to be a camera op being a replay op becomes a little easier because you were in those shoes of all the camera angles and now you're sitting in the room that sees all the camera angles and you know you're getting good at replays and once you master that you know you're just moving on so definitely think it's valuable to get good at a lot of things versus being an expert at just one thing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you guys. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think that's pretty much all the questions that I really have had. Um, you guys have done a great job at, you know, just giving me some new outlook on things um, and just really keeping my, my mind open to more things, like going to the creative side of things um, and just being like, Hey, you know, can I, come with you to this shoot and just see how you guys do it or, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and, but yeah, I, I thank you guys for allowing me to be on the podcast. Um, you've been killing it, Billy. Like I, I wake up every morning. I'm just like, man, when, when next get the shot, you know, I, I start my morning off to it. Um, but yeah, you're, you're killing it, man. You're doing a really great things for, for us young creatives. And I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you so much for calling in and asking that question because we didn't have a lot of call-ins this episode. So it just helps everybody listening when more people call in. So thank you so much, Nelson, uh, for calling in and have a good rest of your evening. Thank you. You too, bud. Take it easy. And Bye. thank you, Anna. Y'all have a great night. Later. All right, Nelson, those are really, really good questions. Um, I feel like he's in a prime position. Yeah. Like he's already... A part of the broadcast team and he's getting his opportunities with the soccer he just needs to yeah do it and i think he's a perfect example of somebody who's at a smaller school but still finding the success that you can find at those larger schools you know at the sec schools like we went to but they're still streaming on espn3 or you know wherever their their football games are streaming or their soccer games like everything the world of streaming sports has really changed everything. And I think as a viewer, if there's an athletic event going on at Arkansas, I expect to be able to watch it somewhere. You know, like even if it's volleyball, it's soccer, I expect it to be on TV. 
and whether that's TV or streaming TV. And I think that's huge. Like every school is getting into this because they see the opportunities there that they can stream more than just football. You know, like football is not the only thing on TV anymore. It's it's the basketball games that are non-conference opponents, not just the SEC matchups. So I think he's a perfect example of somebody who's at a smaller school but still taking advantage of the opportunities that these schools are having with the smaller television streams where they're still able to get the same experience that someone working in a TV truck for LSU Alabama is getting. You know, it's still television. They're still telling the story of football. Yeah, it's lower stakes, but it's still the same equipment. They still need replays. They still need talent. They still need graphics. And students at all these schools are able to do that, which is something that never existed before and I think is huge for the industry. Just like I was talking about that replay operator from Mizzou, it was crazy, like her being able to come in and just step right in and know the equipment. Because here in Kansas City, like we have a ton of people obviously that work freelance because we have so many sports in this area, but the equipment's different. You know, most replay operators here are using EVS and no EVS. We have Dreamcatcher. So finding somebody who knew Dreamcatcher was the hardest task. I asked every school within a three-hour radius and was able to get one who knew it perfectly and was able to jump right in and do the job. And she's a student. Like, that's unheard of, but it's happening everywhere because these students are getting hands-on experience with equipment that they would never see if they started in TV just as a runner or as like a camera operator early, a utility, you know, cable puller. That it takes time in the TV industry to get up into the TV truck, into those positions where you're running replay. It takes time. And these college students are able to get their hands on it so early, but they're also able to learn just like Nelson. He's able to learn that maybe that's not what he wants to do. You know, like he's able to get that experience that will still carry him far and he can put on his resume as skills, but he's learning just like you. You had that experience, but you're able to sit back and be like, I like this, but I like this better. And he's using that experience with the broadcast group to then connect himself into the social group and take his career from there. And I think that is so crucial. Yeah, it was huge for me to be able to put the words ESPN and SEC Network on my resume right. because I ran replay um, for two years at RSN. Yeah. And I enjoyed it a lot. I loved, you know, it was kind of like editing, but live. But live. <laughs> um, and like I loved replay, but I knew that wasn't my end-all, be-all. Right. But I, you know, took advantage of what it could provide for me, and it gave me um, – Basically, the door the, got me in the door with the Chiefs because they saw, oh, Dreamcatcher. We have Dreamcatchers. Exactly. Not many people have Dreamcatcher experience. Let's bring this kid in. That's why I preach the listing out everything on your resume because you never know. Like, I, you know, I listed out on mine Ross Switcher, and we had a different Ross Switcher at Arkansas than we have at the Chiefs, but they're still the same. They're still a Switcher, and they're still the same company. So... They saw that and were like, oh, okay, she understands the switcher. We had dream catchers. They have dream catchers. They had expression. We have expression. All the things that match on the resume and you never know. You know, maybe, you know, the sports team across the street has three play instead of having dream catcher. So if you list three play as well as dream catcher, that's more chance that you're 
connecting the dots there. And that is so, so crucial for people that are trying to get into the live sports or even just sports in general that you were able to say, I know Dreamcatcher and I've run it for ESPN games. That is like a checkbox that helps you get your foot in the door. And then you take that opportunity to turn your job into something else by showing that you have skills in other places. Yep, exactly. Um, let's wrap it up a little bit with a couple more questions. Um, what is your future in this, in this industry? What, what do you want to be doing? That's a great question, Billy. I'm only 25, so I don't plenty. know. <laughs> I've got plenty of time to figure this out. Um, I'm really enjoying where I'm at right now, to be honest. Um, this is my first year directing the video board show, so my job at the Chiefs has changed so much. Just in the four years I've been here, I started off just by mostly doing preseason TV a little bit, these pregame shows a little bit. Now I'm fully producing those pregame, postgame shows with a little bit of help, of course, on the home games. Um, and now I'm directing the video board show. So I've changed my path a bit into more um, of a game day role. And I think it's it's turned out great so far. I'm really enjoying it but I still have so much room to grow. Um, I was just talking about this earlier that the games this year are so different than normal that I feel like this is basically a season warm-up for what normal games are going to be like in terms of directing the video board show. There's so much we can't do due to COVID and so much that we're having to change and just having not, you know, not having 70,000 fans is difficult, but it's been a good warm-up for me to understand, you know, what a normal game would be like. So I'm excited to have that transition and grow in that space of learning how to be a better director when there's 70,000, not just 15,000. Um, so I think I'm I'm enjoying that, that I didn't, I didn't know, you know, four years ago that I was like, I really want to direct video board shows, but it's really, really fun. And I'm enjoying that process. Um, I've always said that I think I'll probably go back to college at some point in more of like a managerial role because I really love training young people. I love like, even when I was in college, I loved training students that were young. I was like the main recruiter at RSN. I think I recruited you, yeah, Billy. You recruited me for sure. <laughs> Into RSN. <laughs> um, but I love like teaching students and people fresh out of college how to do what they're doing now. Um, I've gotten to do that more at the Chiefs with, with our seasonals. Um, I like bringing them in and teaching them this is how we do it here um, and seeing how their skill sets kind of change. And I think I would enjoy that part of college. Um, it is very, very difficult once you're in the pro sports world to consider going back to college because the time commitment is so, so huge. But there is such a an awesome part about college that you're getting to do so many sports so often and you get that like it's different every single day um which i like so i don't know i i mostly just want to manage people and help people grow in what they see as their future whether that be in the pros in kansas city in college we'll see we'll see and i actually forgot to mention you are the youngest and the first female to be the director of 
Aerovision, which is the video board show at the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Crazy. I don't know why they let me in charge of that. (laughs) (laughs) Just so people don't, just so people can understand what is the director's role in terms of when it comes to video board. Yeah. So the director is basically calling all the shots. So I'm sitting there saying, you know, ready camera one, take camera one. The technical director is the one who's actually pressing the buttons. Um, So I'm mostly speaking. I just talk for four hours straight. And I'm directing cameras, telling them, okay, shoot this, shoot this, shoot this. Um, I'm also directing replays. So when the replay producer tells me, let's go to A or go to X, I say, all right, ready, A, effect to A, roll A, ready out to four, out to four. Like it's that for three hours. Um, But also in the breaks, it's directing what's going to happen. So each break is differently or different. You know, sometimes we'll have a recognition where there's a camera, smile and wave. Um, Sometimes it's a fan cam. So fan shots, sometimes it's just a video. So it's ready, blue, roll blue. And there's different looks of the video board. So you have to direct all that. Um, It's a lot. It's it's high stress. (laughs) It's intense. Um, And a lot of it's changing on the fly. We have a script. And we follow the script like to the second, but sometimes you got to adjust. And a perfect example is this last weekend, both of our clips players decided that they didn't want to work. So we had to adjust on the fly. And if we were going to go to blue, we had to say, okay, let's push that to another break. Let's do this instead that we can do. And it was most, it's, it's so much communication. Like that's the biggest thing is communicating with the cameras, the replay, the clips players, the, the producer, who's my boss, who's telling me where we're going to go next. Um, our field producer, who's coordinating with her crew as to getting people set on the field and off the field. It's it's a lot of communication and high stress, but it's really fun. And if we're doing it right, you shouldn't notice that we're even there. Amazing. <laughs> that I could never do that. I didn't <laughs> think I would be good at it. I was very nervous. And not saying I'm good at it. I'm very much fresh and learning and changing daily but it's really really fun and I after the first game my my parents were asking me like was it stressful were you nervous I was nervous of course because it was like the NFL season opener it was very intense but I was like it was so much fun like I don't remember the last time I had that much fun during the game And even times when it's stressful and stuff doesn't go the way you want it, stuff goes wrong, you still enjoy it because you're putting on a game for people to watch. And I think also something that I didn't expect to enjoy so much in directing the video board show is just the instant gratification you get from fans when you do something. Um, When you play a video that says scream, like when when the beat drops and people like you hear people scream, that's like instantly rewarding because you feel like you're making an impact in the game or when you run a replay that shows that the referee clearly made the wrong call and you run it over and over and over again and they decide to review the 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 call and they turn turn it back like you feel like you've made such an impact because you have like you've changed the game truly and I think that is something that's so cool that people don't really think about you know when you're watching a a game or you're at an event you look up at the video board and you're like give me the replay but you don't think about the steps that need to go in to get that replay somebody's got to actually be looking at the angle somebody's got to roll it back to the first 
exact part. Somebody has to tell me which angle it is. I got to tell the TD to go to that angle. He has to actually do it. We have to tell him to roll it. Like it is so many steps just to get that replay up on the board that as a viewer, your mind just instantly goes to it like you expect it. So it's very, very interesting. I wish people could just like watch a control room one time. <laughs> there needs to be a live show. No. Stream. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would get No, views. but yes. <laughs> That's an idea. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. <laughs> um, three people in broadcast that people should be following on social or mm. know about. Oh, gosh. Um, wow. That's a very hard question. I really love a lot of the stuff that the Ravens are doing. Um, Jay O'Brien runs their operation over there. They, I think, have a really good video board production. I've never seen it, but I've heard that the atmosphere in the stadium is amazing. And a lot of times I attribute amazing stadium atmospheres to really good video board shows. So I would follow him. He posts a lot of stuff that they do. Um, and then the, the college people I, I think of a lot. I don't know. I'm going to butcher this name so bad. Um, the guy who runs Harvard, I think his name is um, Imri. He followed me on Twitter today, actually. Um, so forgive me if I just butchered that. I'm so sorry. Um, but at Harvard, they have a really robust production there. But a lot of it, like, they are just problem solving every single day. So he may have to do five shows at one time, and they're using equipment that you normally wouldn't use, or it's different equipment than Arkansas has but they are making it work. Like the, the robust production they have over at Harvard is insane and not what I would have expected. But he posts so much about how you can problem solve as someone in broadcast and just seeing his stuff inspires me to like think differently. Um, let's see, last one. I think anyone that's running an ACC network operation right now is someone you should follow. I specifically think of my old boss at Arkansas, Eric Fry, but anybody who's in an ACC school, they're kind of going through the same thing that we went through at Arkansas, where they are just kicking off their network. I think it kicked off a couple years ago, of course, but like their control rooms are constantly being upped. They're redoing stuff. They're changing their processes. And I've seen a lot of them post about that on social, just how they're changing their strategies and new stuff they're doing the things that they are changing daily, the ways that they are breaking barriers in that space with students, only students, college kids, is truly inspiring and amazing just to see the way technology and to see, honestly, the way that these networks and these schools have invested in this product because it wouldn't be where it is without the financial investment and the people investment. The fact that they are hiring these people just to do ACC Network broadcasts shows how much the industry has changed. So anybody that's running an ACC Network operation, I salute you now, and you should follow them all on social media. Perfect. I love it. Um, this portion, I'm going to let you ask me one question. I live like five minutes ago, so I'm not going to let you ask me any more because you can ask any time. But <laughs> just to follow the structure of the show, I always allow my guests one question or sometimes a couple what is your one question for me? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my earlier thing. I was talking about interviews. Tell me about one project that was an epic fail you did. 
one project like, that, was that you think back and you're like, wow, fail. that was bad. Oh, man. I mean, there's one time I went to shoot my first, like, I guess it's my first, like, broadcast package or something. Like, basically, I took out the ENG camera mm-hmm. at Arkansas. I'm going to cover the student athlete talent show. <laughs> and, you know, this is literally like the first time, you know, I'm bringing a camera outside of a broadcast to shoot something. And I'm so used to being a cam op for the broadcast. I'm sh- so used to replay the the control room, that side of things. So for those that don't know, like you don't have to press record on those cameras. On the broadcast cameras, they're always recording. Like they're just, you know, they're just feeding into the control room. So you, you don't have to worry about, you know, hitting record because it's just like constantly recording. And with that <laughs> I know knowledge, where this going. you know, I took the ENG camera to cover a student athlete broadcast and I did hit record to record the B-roll. But when I got to the interview portion, <laughs> I'm holding the camera with my right hand. I have my left hand with the mic, classic reporter, one man band pose. And I'm freaking out because this is my first like project, basically. This is the first time I'm really interviewing like athletes like for a real thing. Like I'm clocked in. This mm-hmm. isn't just a school project. And I didn't hit record. <laughs> for the whole interview. <laughs> for the whole interview. For all three interviews. I did three interviews. And I didn't hit record because I I thought it was getting fed back to the truck or the control room. I was like, all right, we got it. Classic. And then I, you know, bring it back to edit. And I'm like, where are the interviews? And I'm like, did I hit, did I hit record? And like things are just, I'm freaking out. It's all coming back to you. <laughs> I'm freaking out. Um, but you know what? We had the B-roll. And I made a dope music video. And, you know, that's why you start with something like the student athlete talent show to where you can figure out those issues before you uh, start shooting football and forget to press record. And as far as I know, I have yet to miss a single thing because I didn't hit record. That's good. You learned early. I love that story, Don't Billy. Don't be afraid of I had failures. Forgot, I had forgotten about that until you just told that right now. <laughs> that's that's my go-to failure because um, it's just a big flop. Uh, yeah, most of my failures happened in college when it didn't matter as much. Yeah. Like, obviously it matters, but uh, definitely want to get those out of the way. I had someone DM me, like, earlier today, hey, I'm shooting my first high school game tonight. Like, do you have any tips? And I was like, press record. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that, but I was basically like, no, I don't have any tips. Like, what tip am I going to give you that's going to make you better? Yeah. That's You're going to get better by going to the game, shooting a poor, mm-hmm. uh, assuming, you know, you're not some amazing prod- prodigy at shooting football, but shooting some crappy recap that you're not going to be happy about, and then going to shoot a second game next week. Yeah. And then that you know, learning from your mistakes of the first game. Like, oh, I should have been here. 
because when they score a touchdown, they run over here. Or, oh, the team runs out in this corner of the field. Maybe I should have been standing here. Or, oh, the referee stands in this spot whenever they're at the 20. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Like, like you just got to put in the reps, and through that, you'll learn from your mistakes, and yeah. then you'll, you know, get better. So and true. Put in enough reps to the point where now I'm just good because – you know. I have the experience. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a really good question. I like that story. That is a funny story that I forgot about until you asked, but I think that's my go-to <laughs> failure story. Um, I think this is the last thing. Plug yourself, your social media channels, and then one last piece of advice for those listening, um, whether they're college students, high school students, recent grads, unfortunately maybe recently laid off whatever it is one last piece of advice but first plug yourself cool follow me on social at anna tobkin t-o-b-k-i-n you can find me on twitter insta linkedin connect with me i like to see everyone's work i don't plug my work as often because it's not just an easy retweet but um you can see my cool game day views in the control room if you want um, my last piece of advice overall is just make connections, meet people, talk with people, be a good person. That goes further than anywhere. I have, I feel more confident hiring somebody who somebody I know has vouched for. Like I, I feel like I could hire people based off recommendations before even, even meeting them solely because I've made connections with that person and I trust their opinion. And I think that is so, so crucial. If somebody applies for a job at the Chiefs or a seasonal job that I'm working on hiring, I try to find connections and I ask, hey, do you know this person, X, Y, Z? And they'll give me their honest opinion. And to me, that carries more weight than anything you can do or say in an interview. So be a good person, meet people, Make sure that when people are vouching for you that they're saying something that you'd want them to say and that will take you further than anything. Anna out. AT out. <laughs> AJ out. Ready, blue, roll, blue. Ready, blue, Fade roll, blue. Fade to black. Yo, make good connections and be a good person. How easy is that? That's all the advice you need. The answers to all your problems. Make connections. Be a good person. Talk to everybody in your classroom. Talk to everyone at work. Be friends with your boss, with your peers, with your coworkers. Make those connections because you never know where those connections will end up. And you never know how those may or may not affect where you end up. My boss at... Arkansas used to be the boss of my future bosses at the Chiefs. Like what? If I was not a good worker and not nice to my boss, I probably would not be at the Chiefs because she was the boss of my bosses at the Chiefs when they were at Nebraska and they probably trust her reference more than they trust what they see in my resume or real. Make connections and be a good person. Great advice from Anna Topkin. Thank you so much, Anna, for being on the podcast. Thank you to all the call-ins for asking your questions. 
Thank you to all of you listening, still listening. I know this is a long podcast, but we out here, we made it. Thank you so much for finishing and making it to the end. Make sure to follow me on social at Billy Quatch Films on Instagram and Twitter if you want to find out when the next recording is happening in order for you to call in. Other than that, have a great weekend or have a great week depending on when you hear this. And I'll catch y'all on the next one. Deuces.